The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm actually filling in for Beth Heaton the regular host. And uh, I just wanted to say happy fall to everyone. The leaves are changing here in Connecticut. And you know the other way I can tell it's fall? Because my students are finally writing their essays. Everybody's everybody's finally started on their essays in earnest uh, for applying to college. So actually, I'm not being fair. They started in earnest back in September, but it's they're coming fast and furious right now. All right, so on to today. For our third for our second and third segment, for two segments, I'll be talking with Lori Peltier, uh, former senior financial aid officer at Anna Marie and Bentley College in Massachusetts, and currently a college finance consultant here at College Coach. She'll be answering all the questions you have about filling out the College Scholarship Service or CSS profile, although I think I heard that it's just going by the name The Profile now. Um, this form is required by many private colleges in particular, so be sure to tune in. Uh, but first, we're going to have our schools in session. We're lucky enough to be joined by Julia Jones, former admissions officer at Brandeis College and um, consultant for College Coach, educational consultant. Um, she and I will be focusing on whether and when students with learning disabilities, ADD, or who are on the autism spectrum should disclose on their admissions application. Welcome, Julia. Hey, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being on. No problem. So, and I, I, I feel you on the essays. I'm, I'm getting them, too. So I know yes. it is definitely fall. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just I'm reading at least 10 essays a day. I mean, really more yeah. than that. You know, it's a lot of uh, and different kinds of writing and different kinds of, of, of thoughts. So you have to sort of refocus each time, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Tis the season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So today we're going to be focusing or discussing whether or not and also how um, students mm-hmm. should disclose their learning um, or intellectual disabilities on a college admission application. So mm-hmm. first off, I'm not an expert and you've shared with me that neither are you, um, but we both have a little bit of experience with this. Um, Julia, why don't you tell us what your background working with students um, with learning disabilities is? Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a, a learning specialist, um, but I did, you know, I worked, well, I worked for 10 years um, at Brandeis in admissions. Um, before coming to College Coach, I was director of admissions at a um, small prep 
high school um, in the Boston area, one that focused um, a lot on students with, with learning differences, um, typically ADD, um, ADHD, or, or executive functioning. And so, you know, as director of admissions, I got to learn a lot about, um, you know, students with, with those particular um, challenges. And, um, and then in the, the 13 years that I've been working uh, with students at College Coach, I've worked with quite a, uh, quite a number of students who have had, um, have had learning differences and, and really counseled them through the process and finding the right college and, um, and, and kind of tackling in many cases this question of do I disclose, um, how do I disclose, when to disclose, and, and all of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and I did the same thing as a high school counselor. Um, and I've also, since coming to College Coach, I have a niece who's been diagnosed um, with autism. And so that made me really interested in finding out mm-hmm. about, you know, sort of colleges that really support students who are on the spectrum and also colleges that just support students with learning disabilities in general. So so it looks like we both have a little uh, exposure and, and have done a little research as well. Sure. Um, yep. Okay. Yeah. So... Before we get into this too deeply, I do think it's worth mentioning the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we're going to make advice or we're going to give you our best advice. But I think it's important that students do not have to disclose under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And similarly, colleges may not discriminate against a student with any kind of a disability as long as the student can achieve at the college with reasonable accommodations. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Um, And Julia, since in an application, we always want a student to put his best, most powerful foot forward. What are the the scenarios in which you think a student might want to disclose uh, on their application? Yeah, and I think it, it, it obviously is, is, is very much on a case-by-case basis because I think that, you know, regardless, it's true. I mean, students are absolutely under no obligation to disclose um, uh, their, their disability to colleges. Quite frankly, colleges, you know, they, they may, they're interested in, in understanding, you know, the world and the context that the student comes from. So, you know, that can sometimes mean, you know, they may be struggling with, um, you know, a learning disability or other disability or, or some other circumstances. And that's, and, and so every, Anything that colleges can have to put, you know, put their the um, the record, the transcript, the application into perspective is is useful if necessary, and it's not always necessary too. So, um, and uh, and so I think that 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 becomes kind of the question mark, um, you know. And I do think that it's 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 kind of looking at um, what, what's happened in high school, you know, and kind of really looking in some ways at your transcript and at, at your application, kind of through the lens of what an admissions officer would see. Um, for many students, um, you know, if they have um, been diagnosed perhaps recently in high school, I'm, I'm reminded of a student that I worked with um, a few years ago who, you know, was diagnosed with um, ADD um, after 10th grade. And so if you looked at that student's transcript, you saw a marked difference from 9th and 10th grade, which was, you know, kind of up and down. The grades were a little bit all over the place um, to then having, you know, once the diagnosis happened and, and the student was getting accommodations and and really, you know, kind of found his stride, he then, you know, by 11th grade, the grades were completely different. It was like a light bulb <laughs> or light switch had, had gone off. So it, uh, you know, for that, I, I think that student needed to make an explanation because an admissions off- as an admissions officer, I'd be looking at that transcript saying, okay, something happened, what's going on? Um, you know, the fact that it was a really good turnaround is a positive, but, but having that information um, is, is really useful. So, so I do think that 
that in that case, it makes perfect sense to um, to disclose. So, um, you know, another example that, you know, a lot of students, especially those that may have kind of dyslexia or, or, you know, kind of more of a language-based learning disability, um, some students have in high school a waiver where they don't have to take a foreign language. Um, and, you know, that is something that colleges expect to see on a high school transcript. And so if I saw a transcript that didn't have the student wasn't taking foreign language, um, I'd, on my, my, you know, I'd, I'd have some question marks. And so having an explanation to really you know, talk about why that is, um, is, is really helps to put that in context. And so it helps me to understand, okay, this isn't a student who just decided, eh, I don't feel like taking language, um, but a student who, who obviously you know, couldn't, uh, needed to you know, have that accommodation. And so that's really was, was sort of built into it. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, I had a student who, uh, when I was a high school counselor, who was exactly the way you described, where, you know, really kind of a C student in ninth mm-hmm. and 10th grade, but had stuck it out in a very tough curriculum. So good for him, right? I mean, we yeah. were impressed. And the school had told his parents over and over again that they thought he needed to be tested. Finally was at the end of 10th grade, became an A student in 11th grade. It was that dramatic. Yeah. And yeah, I absolutely told him that he needed to disclose. And he got into some schools that were really big reaches. I mean, he was really pleased. The colleges really responded, yeah. I think, to his story. Right, right. Yeah, and that's it. And and it's it is it is about the story. And that goes with anything. I think it's it's about, you know, what what do the grades, you know, what what what's the story, the backstory, if there needs to be one that that really tells, you know, kind of completes the the picture um that we're trying to get of of who this student is in the application. So, um so yeah, so I think if, you know, my my usual advice is if there's a reason to give some more information, um, if there's a reason to disclose, um, a, you know, a very clear reason, then yes, you absolutely should. Um, but in many cases, there's not a good reason to do so. And, you know, I'm reminded of a student I worked with a couple of years ago who's at Harvard right now who, you know, was um, also had a diagnosed learning difference, had, you know, accommodations, really, really had to power through and work super hard in high school. Um, and because he, he was obviously accepted to Harvard, had an amazing record, great, um, great everything, you know, great transcript, scores, um, an amazing resume, all the things that you would expect for, um, you know, for, for to applying to the, and, and to be accepted at one of the high, most highly selective schools in the country. Um, so, you know, in his case, if you looked at his application, you would have no idea, um, you know, that, what, uh, that, that he um, had accommodations, that he had that um, a learning disability. And so the question came up, do we, you know, do we disclose? And, you know, on the one hand, I did have a, com- a, a thought that, you know, this is actually, it, it shows how much harder he had to work. It's in some ways kind of a testament to, to his, his hardworking nature. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we realized, you know what, his, all of his other accomplishments really spoke for themselves. And there was no reason to, you know, to disclose. And so we didn't. And, you know, he got into some amazing schools and, and, uh, and, and you know, is, is being very successful. So, so I do think that you have to look at it from that perspective, too, that it, it's, not, it's not a must-have. It, it can sometimes send a good message. But if, if you want to, in some ways, let, you know, let things speak for themselves, if, and, and if you don't need to disclose, you, you, don't, you don't disclose. Mm-hmm. I will say it's interesting because I had a similar story of a really high-performing student who went to a great private high school, really well-known one, and they really mm-hmm. hadn't 
honored many accommodations in his case. I mean, and he, so he really had to work harder than he would have at even a very good nearby public school where the rules tend to be stricter about this thing. But, and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but the thing is he had continued to do very well. He was an A student. He was looking at schools like Georgetown and justifiably he had the record to look at it. Um, But his mother insisted um, she had gotten advice from, um, she'd gotten advice from, people who sort of were um, counselors for students with learning disabilities that he should disclose just in the way that you mentioned that it kind of was a distinguishing excellence for him because he had worked so hard um, and Mm -hmm. not gotten any extra assistance. And I put to them, look, you know, you, you have to keep in mind as well that colleges, they don't necessarily need to know this to them isn't necessarily going to be viewed as a positive. It's not going to be viewed as a negative, but will it take away um, from all the other great things about him? I mean, he was president of the student body. He had, you know, pretty much completely straight A's, like a B in ninth grade. So similar to what you said, but his mother insisted that he disclose. um, Mm. And the good news is that he still got into Georgetown, his top choice. So, you know what? So that I think that was the good news is that Georgetown understood it the way it it should have been understood. But I still think he probably would have gotten in without it, is what I would say. Yeah, I I think, and it it goes to show that it's it's obviously not a black and white, you know, issue. That there are definitely nuances to this. Um, But uh, but but I think that, and there are definitely going to be cases. You know, I was on the fence as well about, um, you know, the the student, uh, you know, my student too. And and um, it's, uh, but but I, I do think that for many students. Um, sometimes again, you want to, I, I tend to err on the side of, you know, let your record, if it, if it does speak for itself, then let it speak for itself. Cause you just sometimes never know how it's going to be viewed and how, how colleges might, might take that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely right. agree. There is another situation in which you might want to disclose though, other than the student who's had the sort of dramatic improvement. Um, and I learned out about I learned about this when I visited Hofstra University yeah. in um, on Long Island. Great school, unbelievably strong uh, support system for students with learning disabilities. I mean, just I was mm-hmm. so impressed. And the woman yeah. who is in charge of the services there actually told me when I was visiting that in some cases, this isn't you know it's not a going to work a hundred percent of the time. But if a family comes in to see her, and um, you know, the the child sits down and she sits down, she talks to the student and she determines that she can help that student in that situation. Disclosing could actually help a student for whom Hofstra is a reach, not an enormous reach, but a reach was what I, right. the message I got from her. So that was pretty interesting to me. And that was actually new. Yeah, yeah, I think, and there are schools like that. I think ones that have, you know, perhaps a more formal, more structured um, uh, program for students with, with learning disabilities where, you know, the students, the reality is, 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 you know, students can get accommodations, you know, almost anywhere um, as part of the, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, you know, once they're admitted and once they enroll, they provide their documentation um, and colleges provide reasonable accommodations. But there are schools like Hofstra, um, Curry College in, in the Boston area is another one that I'm reminded of. University of Arizona has a really great, um, uh, more structured program too. And those are schools where, again, you're right. It's, it's you know, they they are there to really, um, uh, you know, for students who, who may fall a little bit below the average um, accepted student. But, but again, they can, if they, if they really have a conversation and, and put that forth, it, colleges know that, hey, we're a good fit. We can, you know, we can help the student too. 
Mm-hmm. But um, I think- and I do think, I, I believe that even Arizona, their program, I think, has a separate, you know, part of the application for that, too, where I think they ask you to write, I think there's an essay um, where, you know, you have to talk about why, you know, why it's a good fit for you. And I think that does, you know, that, that can sort of help students, too. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. so there are definitely programs like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... And I do think that, you know, again, the question also that I get a lot from students when they're thinking about um, uh, when to disclose is, you know, how to disclose, too, because, you know, I think that sometimes it's, you know, some students think, well, what do I send? Like, how do I tell, you know, there's not always a mechanism in place on, on college applications to, you know, to get that, that across. And so, you know, I think, and, and also the reality is colleges don't want, um, nor should you send your actual, you know, documentation, your, you know, psychological evaluation and all of that. Um, we used to get that at Brandeis. Um, some students would send us, you know, the whole packet of information and everything, and we would actually just send it back. Um, it was not, again, not, not something at that point in the process and admissions that we really even wanted. Um, but, um, but I think that students can talk about it, you know, in terms of, you know, there's a place on the, on, most, on the common application that asks, you know, if there's anything additional that you'd like to share, is there anything that might have affected your, um, your application or your high school record, that's a good place for it. Sometimes students might choose to address it in some way in their in their actual you know application essay if it makes sense to do that. Some you know for some students that's a choice. Um, others decide you know what I want to write about something more interesting or more personal in my uh, um, my essay, and so I'll I'll disclose it in the additional information section. And in some cases, students have um, their guidance counselor you know give their guidance counselor permission to make that um, you know to make that disclosure too. Um, you know the guidance counselor cannot do it without permission. But um, in many cases, since that's a recommendation that's a, that goes to almost every college, that can be another good way for, for students to, um, you know, to disclose that without it becoming, you know, the, the entire component of their application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that... I think that students should think carefully about where they disclose because a lot of my, a lot of students who I've worked with who have learning disabilities think, well, I'll definitely write about this because it's been the biggest deal in my life. But Mm -hmm. just think carefully because it could also be a lost opportunity if there's something else important that you want to communicate about yourself, right? I mean, because I have other students who say, I don't want to be defined by my learning disability. It's something Mm -hmm. I've learned to cope with. I feel like it's going to be less and less important as time goes on. So I'd much rather write about the fact that I love international relations and I've been volunteering, you know, for the International Red Cross, you know, and they want to write about something like that instead. And in that situation, absolutely, feel free to highlight these other qualities, but maybe just mention it quickly in the additional information section and, yeah, have a conversation with your counselor so that, you know, he or she can introduce it. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing. It's, there's no cookie cutter, you know, one, what works for one student is not necessarily going to work for another. But, um, but I think that that, you know, it, it sometimes really depends on what else you have to share and what else you want to, what, what else you want to focus on in the application. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the one other thing that I want to mention, by the way, is that just because a school has a good, has a particularly good um, 
you know, office or kind of system of support for students with learning disabilities does not mean it's going to help you get in. So I really recommend that students do their research. I talked to this one family who, you know, the son was applying to University of Connecticut, which was a really big stretch for him. And they thought, well, they've got these great support services. So we're thinking that he can get in anyway. And I had to tell them, look, I've been to University of Connecticut. I talked to them about it. They don't consider it. It's not going to be a factor in whether he's admitted or not. So just because they have this great support doesn't mean it's going to be carry over to the admission office. So do your research is my advice to people. Right. I I totally agree. Um, Because I think even if you talk to the Office of Support Services or the Office of Students with Disabilities, they're often called different things at different colleges. But if you, you know, you can do that in your research process. You know, it's not something that doesn't automatically get you kind of, you know, earmarked, um, you know, so if you choose not to disclose it, it doesn't, admissions doesn't usually get that information, but, but it kind of give you a chance to really see okay, is this, is this school going to be a good fit for me? Because I think that is, you know, we talk about that all the time, on, I know, on the show and in, in general is, you know, does this place, you know, do I, does it have the support systems that I need that I know I'm going to need to be successful? So, um, so I do think that that's the best way to, to go about it. Um, and that's really, you know, when I think about homework for, um, for, for students who, uh, for, uh, you know, for the schools in um, part of this uh, process, I, I think that that would be my homework and my recommendation for students is to, you know, to really, you know, you haven't yet, if you say you've got a college list, um, you know, maybe this is a time to have a conversation with someone at, in that office or at least make sure you're researching it to see, you know, do they have, in some cases, a separate um, application or is it something that, you know, like in the case of Hofstra, where you can, you know, where, where it can make a difference if you say, actually sit down with somebody and talk to them about it. Um, so it's really, you know, adding another, just another layer to the process of, you know, really kind of doing that, that research on that, on that part of the, uh, of the equation. Mm-hmm. And Julia, you stole my homework. That's exactly what I was going to advise. So, but that's great. I mean, that really is the homework. Go out and do your research. It's unfortunate that it's going to require a whole other level of work, but that's going to be so helpful in making sure that your child is in the right place. So, so I think that's it. I think we've we've uh, covered a lot. Any last thoughts? Um, no, I think, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to, to the homework and to what I've said, you know, in, on pre, in previous uh, shows, too, where it's, you know, there are, you, you, schools have different levels of support, and so it's about, you know, finding the schools that are going to give you the right, um, you know, the right level of support, and, and again, really looking at your application and making sure, you know, again, it's, it's trying to look at it with, as much as you can, with more of an objective eye of, okay, how is an admissions officer going to look at this? Does he or she need to know what, um, you know, uh, about my, my learning disability? So I think that those are, are things to just to, to keep in mind as you're kind of putting those those applications together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Julia. I really appreciate thanks. it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take right. a short break, but when we get back, we'll be speaking with Lori Peltier about the CSS profile. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we're now turning to Lori Peltier for advice about completing the CSS profile. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Sally. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Happy to be here. All right, so two weeks ago, you were here talking about the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Uh, So you were talking about that form, and today we're talking about the CSS profile form. So why are there two different forms for aid? That's a good question, just to make things complicated for our families, I think. Uh, (laughs) But the real reason is that many years ago, a group of private colleges got together and decided that the FAFSA form didn't answer all the questions they needed to determine a family's eligibility for need-based aid at their institutions. Um, Many of them are more expensive, selective institutions who have a lot of money to give, and they wanted to make sure that they were giving it to the right families. And they wanted more control over the data that they collected and the formula applied to the calculation. So these schools got together, and they came up with what's called the CSS profile form and hired the college board, the same company who manages the SAT testing, to manage the process. And today there are about 200 colleges that use the form, and several scholarship organizations use it as well to um, judge a family's need-based aid eligibility for scholarships. Uh, This year, by the way, they are changing the name from CSS uh, Profile to just Profile. So you'll see it listed both ways, but going forward, we're just using the Profile name. Okay. All right. So not every college requires the Profile then? That's correct. Um, Some families will not have to complete the form at all. You only have to do it for the schools uh, that require it. On the College Board website, you can see a list of the schools that require it. And again, they're the more selective private colleges that are more on the expensive side. An example would be American University, Boston College, Columbia, Dartmouth, Fordham, George Washington. Uh, so those are some of the forms that require it. it it's, um, like I said, usually private schools. There are a few public schools that require it, but they are the big-name publics like University of Michigan, uh, University of Virginia, and UNC Chapel Hill. Um, other than that, 99% of the time, a public school is not going to require the profile form. And you will also have to do the FAFSA form for every school, but then there are those schools that you'll have to take that second step 
and do the profile. So it's a good idea to check. Now's a good time if we're talking about homework. Uh, check the schools on your list to see if they require the profile form in addition to the FAFSA form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every college that I worked at actually required the profile. So mm-hmm. sometimes families were surprised by that. I remember one woman missed a deadline um, mm-hmm. and it impacted her aid, you know, yeah. and I was like, we sent you information and, she, you know, she just couldn't understand it because the University of Florida didn't require it. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry, but we're we're not public, we're private and it's different. So, yeah, I felt badly for her, but, you know, we had those rules, so... Right. Um, so anyway, yes, get going on it. And re- relevant to that point, is the form already available? It is available. The profile form comes out October 1st, and it has been coming out every October 1st for several years now. Uh, many colleges who do early action or early decision use the profile form to determine the aid packages. Uh, now the FAFSA form has lined up with that and also comes out October 1st, but it is available on the website today. Um, and you can complete it once and send it to all the colleges on your list. If you add a school to your list later on, if you're not exactly sure where you're going to apply or you, you know, have a last-minute addition, you can always go back in and add a school later. Um, and it is all online. Uh, there is no paper profile form. Mm-hmm. All right, so hopefully that's easy for the families to get it online. Um, does it take long to fill out? My sense was that it was more complicated than the FAFSA. It is more complicated, and overall, I would suggest maybe two hours uh, the first time you fill it out, unless you're very organized. Um, The profile form is a two-step process. First, the student registers for the form. The registration process will ask information about the student and their parents, where they live, some basic financial questions like what type of tax return do you file, and it will also ask in the beginning at the registration process what schools you want the data sent to. Each college uh, has a college board code number. As you might know from sending a a school your SAT scores, it's that same code number that you're going to put on the registration to designate that that's a school that you want um, the data sent to. You have to complete the registration process in one sitting, so you really want to make sure that you've got stuff in front of you, you're sitting down, and you've got a little bit of time to finish the registration process in one sitting. You can't save it and come back to it. But once you've registered, then it's going to bring up a customized form that's specific to the colleges that you've listed, and you can um, come in and out of that form as you fill it out. So if you can't finish it in one sitting, you can come back to it uh, once you're on that second step of the process. Um, The customized form will ask a lot of detailed questions about the student and parents' 2015, 2016, and 2017 income and the net worth of their assets as of the day they complete the form. So although they're looking back to 2015, this is for a student graduating uh, in this spring in 2017, they'll be looking at 2015 income, but they're only looking at your assets at one point in time. So they're not looking at what did you have in the bank two years ago. They want to know as of today, what do you have in the bank? Uh, Overall, like I said, I would expect about one to two hours to complete the process. Okay, so just to clarify that, so I understand it. So (laughs) income is based on 2015 income, but assets is today, like that moment that you're filling out the form. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, So what can a family do to prepare to fill out the form? 
I think that's a great question, and I think it will help speed up the process if you do prepare and you're not like me who has stuff in every file and every spot in my house that I can think of putting a piece of paper. Um, I'm so with you. (laughs) My bank statements might be one place, but my old tax returns might be another. So so I uh, recommend that you do gather some documents, um, Social Security numbers for the student and the parents, 2015 federal tax returns and W-2s, 2016 pay stubs that would show what you've earned to date uh, for 2016, bank statements, medical bills, mortgage statements, and, of course, the names of the colleges you want the the data sent to. Um, So having it handy will be helpful. You'll also need a credit card because you do have to pay for this form. Uh, There is a cost of $25 for the first school that you submit and $16 for each school after that. They will ask for the credit card when you get to the end, and it won't be submitted without it. Some families may qualify for a waiver where they don't have to pay for it, but you won't know that until you get to the end, and it's totally based on your income. So if your income is uh, low enough, they'll say, okay, we're not going to charge you. We're going to put it through without a payment. Um, And this is one of the big differences between the FAFSA and the profile is that the FAFSA is free. That's what the F in FAFSA stands for, but the profile is not. I think um, the other thing that a family should be aware of when they sit down to fill it out is that there's different sections for the student and the parent, and they consider the student the applicant. So you want to make sure that when you're in the student section and it's asking you how much money you have in the bank, you're answering what the student has in the bank, not what the parent has in the bank. So just be careful what section you're on. Mm -hmm. So are there any thoughts about the fact that the FAFSA you know, does cost money? I mean, there just seems to be something wrong with having an aid form that that costs money. Mind you, I know that a lot of people who qualify for aid can afford $16, but I just, I remember, I think there's a limit to how many waivers you can get, or it used to be four, and then maybe it was six, and that can actually be a big burden for a student at the lowest rung of the income um, level in this country. Yeah. Right, and I do think, you know, personally, you know, if you look at a student who is low income, taking the AP exams, uh, submitting their SAT scores, sitting for the SATs, taking SAT prep, submitting the profile form, all of those things really add up. And it does take a little bit of um, footwork or, you know, gumption for the student to keep asking for a waiver for all of these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not automatic. And it, it is a hurdle, I think. I, I don't know how to get around it, but I do know that they they are unlimited waivers at this point. So if you had 10 schools that required the profile and your income was low enough that you would get it waived, you would get it waived for all 10 schools. Oh, well, that is great news. I am very glad to hear that. that I'm glad to hear that. All right. So what, what other differences are there between the two forms? So one big difference, and you may have noticed that I mentioned earlier that to have your mortgage statements, is that the profile form asks information about the net worth or home equity that a family has um, in their primary residence, and they treat that home equity as a parent asset. The FAFSA form does not ask anything about your home. Uh, Consequently, parents or families with large amounts of home equity are going to be looked at a little differently than someone who does not own a home. Um, the schools that use the profile figure that a family that has home equity is in a much different situation than a family who's renting and living in an apartment. So the profile form asks you to estimate the current market value of your home, deduct any mortgages or liens you have against it, and report the difference as your home equity. Uh, Another big difference between the forms is that 
families that are divorced or separated will have to report non-custodial parent information. Uh, on the FAFSA form, it's just the custodial parent, and the, the parent the child does not live with doesn't have to report anything. But, uh, again, the schools that require the profile want to look at all the parents involved, uh, whether they live with the student or not. For some families, this can be a burden as well. If there's a parent who's out of the picture and has been out of the picture for a while, um, it may be difficult for them to get an address or an email address uh, to send the non-custodial form to. So in that case, um, the parent who is filling out the form would have to ask the college for a waiver for that non-custodial parent information. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that I've had colleges be open to that. Um, yes, at least when, you know, I, I worked with one young woman who, I mean, her father had never been in the picture. And the colleges, when they heard from me, her counselor, that, I mean, I worked at a private school. We were giving her aid based solely on her mother's income. They actually waived it automatically on, mm-hmm. on you know, our say-so. So I was glad to see that. Right, right. It, it does happen pretty frequently. Um And then on the good side, the profile form will ask you about some expenses that the FAFSA form does not. So the parent's educational loan debt for older siblings. So if the parents have already borrowed money for an older sibling, that can be taken into account. Medical and dental expenses for the family are taken into account. Um, So in... In general, the profile form asks more financial data than the FAFSA, so it takes a little bit longer to complete, but it can give a more accurate picture of the family's financial situation than the FAFSA form. Okay. All right. Great. So let me get one more question. Let me ask you one more question, and then I think we're going to go to break just for a few minutes. Um, What can a family expect to happen after they complete uh, the profile form? Well, since the form is online, you'll be giving the profile um, form an um, email address. That they will email you a confirmation when it's been processed. So you submit, you get an email that it's been submitted and processed. You'll get um, you know, that confirmation so you know that it's done. Uh, that also means that the schools have received it. So it's pretty automatic that you submit it all that data gets put in a file and it's sent electronically to the colleges on your list so you don't have to mail the colleges anything or follow up. Um, The only uh, big difference between the FAFSA and the profile at this point is that if you have to make a correction, you can't go back in and correct the data. You would have to notify the schools to change any data that you've submitted. You just submit it that first time. There's not a second or an addendum to it. Mm, So that's a lot of additional work then. It can be, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, Lori and I will now be taking a quick break. Um, So stick around, everyone. We'll be back in just a few minutes. All right, thanks so much. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Lori Peltier and I are back to continue discussing how to fill out the CSS profile. All right. So, Lori, another question that I had is, um, are there common mistakes that families make on the form or, or questions that you get about it quite a bit? Oh, oh yes, definitely. Uh, we get a lot of questions um, when families are filling it out this time of year. And, and some common mistakes I see that families make are either overstating their assets or including them more than once um, in different um, compartments on the form. The form tends to ask the same question, but in different ways. Almost sometimes you'd think they're trying to trip you up to, to reveal something. So you want to be careful that if you're reporting your checking account in one box, that you're not including the balance of your checking account when you're listing your investments in another box. Uh, the other mistake I see is including retirement savings as their investments. There may be a question on the profile about how much they've saved for retirement, it doesn't really factor into the equation of how much aid you will get. They're just capturing that data. But be sure to not include your retirement savings as part of your bank accounts or other investments. It's pretty clear, but some people tend to overstate. Um, the other thing I see is underreporting medical or dental expenses. Um, this is for the entire family, all the kids. You know, and think of everything, the the co-pays, the deductibles, the prescriptions for the entire family. And even if you have to kind of make it up, say, okay, when I filled it out for my kids, there's five of us in the family. I'm like, okay, we all went to the doctors at least once, so that copay. We all have at least one prescription, so there's that. And then we all went to the dentist at least twice. So I tried to add up things that way and, and multiply it out rather than, um, you know, looking at my actual bills. I kind of did an abroad um, estimate. I think um, the other thing I see is families are afraid to explain their extenuating circumstances. They'll often tell me a story that either they're taking care of the grandparents or they have a niece or nephew or grandchild that lives with them or they got a one-time distribution of stock from their employer and it happened to fall in the year that the profile is collecting that data. That's a perfect example of an extenuating circumstance that a family can write on the profile. 
So that's another difference between the profile and the FAFSA form is there is a spot on the profile. It's just a text box. You can type in a paragraph about your situation. So if there's anything... Uh, uncommon about the year that you're reporting or something that's happening within your family that's going to affect your ability to pay for college, uh, you should write it in that box. One-time bonuses, capital gains, relocation expenses. You know, if you're, um, there was a merger or acquisition of your employer, again, if you have extra people in your household, or if you're sp- uh, spending money on uh, schooling for a younger child or a child with disabilities, that's definitely something that you want these colleges to know about because it's going to affect your ability to pay for the college for the child you're applying for. And the colleges won't know if you don't tell them. So definitely use that box to explain your special circumstances. Uh, you don't want to go overboard. I've had a family who is, wrote me a letter once saying that they have a large dog and they spend a lot of money on dog food. <laughs> and <laughs> I pretty much did the same thing. I kind of laughed and said, well, that's not going to cut it. Sorry. But uh, these other circumstances could. Um, right, right. I actually, um, I actually worked with a student when I was at Reed who um, his family owned an orchard, and, uh, uh, which, is, which is a wonderful thing. But, you know, I think just the year he was applying to college and they were filling out the forms, the year before they'd had kind of an unusually large, large crop that they'd done really well. So initially the aid was based on, you know, this sort of remarkable yield. So, you know, the family mm-hmm. then said, oh, we better explain that this is not what we make most years. So they right. just, I think, provided kind of a history of what they typically made. And their mm-hmm. aid um, package was, you know, was a, a, then made more reasonable because of that information. Right, right. And, and that's what... So the the profile form can be a hurdle to fill out, but it will provide more information to a college aid office so they can look at an average over two or three years and average out your income and and are more flexible with bending the numbers, I I guess is a way to say it. Uh, And it's funny, one of the biggest questions we get that a lot of families get caught up on is on the profile form it asks, how much are you planning to pay for your child's education? You know, how much are you contributing towards their education? And people will ask me, you know, well, I, I have $10,000 in my 529 plan. Should I put that? They're going to see that. They're going to expect me to put that. I'm like, well, you're applying for aid. Ideally, you want to pay zero. Nobody wants to pay, you know, full price. Nobody wants to pay a lot for college. So put down zero. Put down a lowball number. You don't have to put down what you have in the bank or what you make for income. The colleges use that number to compare it with the number that they come up with. So if you put down that you could afford $50,000 for school and their calculation said $30,000, they're going to take your word for it and use the 50000 So it's better mm-hmm. to put a low number on that question, but it's funny that that's the one question that we get the most questions about. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. I didn't even know about that question, which tells you that I kept myself at a remove from <laughs> the financial aid office at my school. So, um, All right, so... Will will a family see, or will a student, um, will parents see their expected family contribution from the profile form? Typically, no, they will not see it. Um, on the FAFSA form, they will. When they get the confirmation that the FAFSA has been processed, it will tell you what the federal government determined as your expected family contribution. But on the profile, it won't because it's going to be different for every school on your list because every school has their own calculation. It might show up on the financial aid award that you get from the school, 
and the school will spell out why they gave you the amount of money uh, that they're giving you based on the expected family contribution from the profile form. Hmm. Okay, so the issue, the reason that they don't do it is because each college is going to be a little bit different in how they calculate your aid. Is that why? Yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, and so what can a family do if they make a mistake on the form? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you can't go back and fix a mistake on the profile. Once you've submitted it, that application is closed. You would have to notify the individual schools in writing of what mistake you want fixed, and the school will fix it for you. Um, it's not like the FAFSA form where you can go back in and, and fix something and resubmit it. So once it's submitted, mm-hmm. it's done. Uh, the only thing you can do is add a school at a later date. Okay. So when you say uh, tell the school, can you just call them up or do you need to write a letter? How does it work? I would send an email to the financial aid office, including the student's name, and uh, tell them what field you want to change and why. They may have a specific form or a document that they want to gather from you to confirm that change, um, or they might just take your email for it. So I would start with an email. I think it's easier than trying to get them on the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, good to know. I think a lot of people are concerned that an email will be ignored, but that does seem like the right place to start. Um, right, and I, I would follow up. You know, if you don't get an answer to your email in a couple of days, I would follow up with a phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that they want 2016 and 2017 income information, um, but families have not filed tax returns for those, year, for those years yet. So how do they answer those questions? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's where they have to estimate. So their best guess, based on what they earned in 2015, what they expect to earn for the remainder of 2016, and if they think they'll be in the same employment or income status for 2017. Again, I wouldn't go overboard. I wouldn't inflate your income at all. I would, you know, if you if you know that you're hopefully staying in the same job, I would just put the same income year to year. But if you know you're getting a huge bonus or uh, moving into a new job that's going to pay a lot more, then yes, you can put a higher number. Um, but it is your best guess at, at that point. It's just an estimate. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I mean, I think that works really well if you're salaried. Um, mm-hmm. But I've heard of families when they own their own business, I mean, kind of similar to the orchard situation that I just mentioned, you know, what, 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 what do you advise families that own their own business so their income really goes up and down? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, it, and that is the, um, the people that are affected the most by that. I get, maybe, you know, lowball it with 10% less than what you're making this year. You know, because there's a point where if it goes too low, you're not even going to be in business anymore. So at, at what point is too low? I would take what you currently have and maybe apply like a 10% uh, reduction and say that that's what you're going to be making in the future. Hopefully it will be higher, but you don't know. You have to kind of plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. And let's say something dramatic happens. I mean, I guess if someone loses, loses a job, then at that point you update everybody. Exactly, exactly. So if, you know, if something happens between now, they say they fill the form out now, and something happens between now and April before they've made a decision on a school, they would have to update all the schools on their list with their new situation and ask for a new financial aid award based on this new situation. 
If it happens after May 1st, when they have deposited, then they would just be working with that one school that they've chosen and uh, try to get them to see their new situation. Most schools would take it into account, especially if it's happened before they enrolled. If it happens once the student's enrolled, they might say, well, you know, now we'll have it affect your sophomore year. We're going to leave freshman year as it is, but we'll let it affect your sophomore year. Depends on how big of a difference it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, hopefully that doesn't happen to our students, <laughs> right. but it's, it's something I've heard about. So, um, all right. So I understand they ask information about student siblings and whether they're enrolled in the college where they're going. What if a family has twins and you don't know where they are going next year? Mm-hmm. And I was in that situation just three years ago when my twins were applying to schools and my daughter had 11 schools, my son had seven schools, and majority of them did require the profile form. So I was filling out two FAFSAs, two profiles, and the profile was asking, okay, you have siblings, and you say they're enrolled in college, where are they enrolled? I'm like, well, I don't know yet. We're in the process. <laughs> Pick one of these 11 <laughs> schools, you know. So I, you know, again, I picked the most expensive school and assumed that we weren't getting any aid. Because you don't know at that point. I have no idea what's going to happen the next year. So, you know, you can go with your worst-case scenario that it's the most expensive school on the siblings list and we're not getting any aid. And that's what we're going to have to pay for that sibling. So for this one student, you know, take that into account. The schools, um, some schools do go back and check. So my son is at Northeastern, and they sent us a form saying uh, in the fall of freshman year, you said you had a sibling enrolled in school. We want verification of that. So I had to get uh, enrollment verification forms from his sister's school, University of San Francisco, and send it to Northeastern to say, yes, she is enrolled full-time here as a student, so that mm-hmm. they would keep his financial aid the same as they had promised because we did follow through when his sibling was enrolled at a school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I heard some colleges use IDOC to collect documents. So can you speak to that? And what is IDOC? <laughs> it, it stands for IDOC. Um, okay. It's an Im- a document imaging um, software. That a lot of the same schools that use the profile form will use IDOC to collect documents. So back in the day when I was in a financial aid office, we used to collect paper tax returns and W-2s. For every student, and if you think of the volume and the security breach that that, that can yeah. that, that can happen with that, um, it, but that's the way we used to do it. We used to ask every family for a copy of their tax returns that was signed and copies of their W-2s. Well, now um, you know the FAFSA form can gather that information from the IRS, and some of the schools will ask you to submit the documents, but in a scanned-in document through this IDOC process. So after you've done the profile, you might get a notification from the financial aid office at the school saying, now that you've applied, we want copies of your documents, but we don't want the paper copies. We want you to use this system called IDOC. It's a website you go to. You scan in and upload your 2015 tax returns and W-2s, and we will, you tell it which schools to go to. So you can send it instantaneously to a couple schools that are asking for it. Yeah, that's nice. That sounds better for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a so, little, little streamlined. Yes. <laughs> All right. So last question, I think, before we have to go. Um, does a family have to answer every question on the profile form? 
I think that they should address every question on there. Even if the answer is zero, it's better to put a zero in the box than to leave it blank. The school may think that you skipped over it. Um, so both the FAFSA and the profile, I always recommend putting in a zero if it doesn't pertain to you. And both of those forms don't use uh, decimals. Um, there's no sense. They're all round whole numbers. So, um, so you round up the numbers. You don't include any sense. But, yeah, I would put a zero in the box. The other question we get a lot is if you have to do the profile form every year. It depends on the school. At Northeastern, where my son is, you had to do the, the profile form for freshman year, but you don't need it for future years unless there's a huge change in your financial situation. There are a few private schools that will ask for you to fill out the profile form every year. Okay, good. Listen, this has been really comprehensive and helpful. Um, Great. I'm, I'm sure it's gonna get a, we're going to get a lot of hits on this conversation. So thanks so much, Lori. You're welcome. Okay, and thanks, um, thanks a lot to Julia as well for being my guest. Um, so now, everyone, I want to tell you about our show next week. I'll be the host again, and in our next Schools In segment, we'll be discussing the supplemental essays for the University of Michigan, and hopefully we'll also be getting to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, we'll also definitely be discussing how and when and which standardized test to submit. So if you've got three SATs and you don't know which one to submit, or should you send all of them, and when should you send them, we're going we're gonna to be discussing that and helping you out with it. Um, also for our finance segment, we'll be discussing the danger of missing a financial aid deadline. Finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24 seven on the voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find our shows featuring the schools out and schools in segments, which began on June 30th. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time. It's absolutely free. And last, don't forget we're here every Thursday at 4 PM Eastern time, 1 PM Pacific time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.